0: Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 606 with Edward Hess. Ed is sharing how you can become a hyper learner, stay relevant in the digital age so the robots won't take your job, and you have more fun too. So, you'll learn one, why you need to rethink the way you work, two, the secret to achieving inner peace, and three, how to redefine your ego. So, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, Visit dot com slash EP606. Now here's Ed's story. Edward Hess is a professor of business administration, Batten fellow, and Batten executive in residence at the Darden Graduate School of Business. He has spent 20 years in the business world as a senior executive and has spent the last 18 years in academia. He's the author of 13 books and over 140 articles and 60 Darden case studies. His work has appeared in over 400 global media outlets, including Fortune magazine, Forbes, Fast Company, and The Washington Post. His recent books and research has focused on human excellence in the digital age, a new way of being, a new way of working, humanizing the workplace, and hyperlearning. Big thanks to Ed for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Now, here's Ed.
1: Ed, thanks so much for joining us here on the How Do Y'all Cement Your Job podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's wonderful being with you. I really admire what you do with your podcast.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, well I admire what you do here, and I'm excited to talk about hyperlearning, which is something I think uh, I'm into, and so are the listeners. First, can you tell us, what is that? and maybe open with a fun story about a professional doing
1: hyper learning to see some cool results. Well, hyperlearning is the ability to learn, unlearn, and relearn at a continuous high-level rate. Mm -hmm. It's the skill that's needed in the digital age where the digital age is going to basically technology is going to transform how we live and how we work, and the technology is going to produce so much new data and new knowledge so fast that basically whatever we think we know. All right. And we probably don't know what we think we know. But even if we didn't know what we think we know, the shelf life of that is going to be estimated to be two to three years. So we basically have to become very, very adaptive. We have to be, we basically have to be a continuous lifelong hyper learner. And the big challenge to that is, is that we're not wired to be a hyper learner. And uh, we'll talk about that. But a good story. uh, Well, I've worked with a lot of people, a lot of companies that are embracing this. And I think one of the best stories was a company that got their leadership team together, and I I spent a week with them, and we went into the details. I'm very granular on behaviors, as you know. And uh, so we got into how do you be a hyper-learner and what's the the highest level of learning. It means you got to be a great listener. It means you've got to be a great collaborator. It means you got to basically calm what's going on in your mind and body. And so we focused and spent a day on how to listen. And this guy was a senior executive and was sort of quiet, quiet. He was a technology guy, quiet. But he was engaged. And the next morning, one of the practices at this company is have a check-in every morning. Where are you? How are things fitting? So everyone went around the table and came to this guy's time. And he said, well, can I share something personal? And of course, of course. He said, I called home last night and I had the reflective listening checklist that ed gave me with me and i put it by the phone and i talked to my wife and talked to my kids and the conversation kept going on and i kept looking at the checklist and really it was sort of amazing we talked for like an hour and a half and he said that's not usual and I, everyone said oh that's good that's good he says well my wife called me back after she put the kids together and this is what she said she says i don't know what you're doing at that meeting But keep doing it, because Mm -hmm. that was the best conversation you've had with me and our kids in a long time, because you really listened. And the guy broke down crying in the meeting. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful story about how, if you will, changing one's behavior so you can really be present and listen with a closed mind, which is necessary to learn, not only can impact you in the workplace, but impact you in the home place. Well, 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 that's beautiful
0: uh, to kick us off. And I, I want to talk about, indeed, how was that done? And I love your first chapter is just uh, achieving inner peace. <laughs> that, we're just getting started <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> after yeah. that with the subsequent chapters. Yeah. So that is a key roadblock for great listening. So yeah, how
1: do we pull that off, first of all? <laughs> well, I think if I can, let me lead into it this way. I think that people have to they're going to embrace hyperlearning, come up with their own why. Why should I be a hyperlearner? And, you know, that's pretty easy. If you want to stay relevant in the workplace going forward to have meaningful work, you've got to be able to basically do tasks the technology can't do. So everybody sort of knows what that is. The higher level thinking, higher level emotional engagement, etc. And so we can figure out the why. But then the question comes down to why do I need to change anything? And this is the thing that's the hardest for people to basically accept. And basically, we're all suboptimal learners. We are wired for efficiency, all right? We are wired for speed, all right? We basically go out in the world and we process information which confirms what we already believe. We go into the world wired to confirm what we believe, to affirm our egos, all right? And to basically validate our stories of how the world works we basically see what we believe that's a scientific fact so if you think about if everything's changing new data new knowledge is coming new ways of doing things and we're going in the world looking for confirmation we're not going with an open mind we're not going to explore wow what are we going to do inside of ourselves to help us rewire So instead of seeking confirmation and affirmation and cohesiveness, instead of being reflexive thinker, if you will, as you know, Daniel Kahneman called us the lazy thinker, instead of being that, being an active, engaged thinker, what can we do to basically help us be that way? And it all begins with inner peace. And I finally got there. I'm sure you were wondering, when is he going to get to inner peace? But inner peace is the answer or the pathway to beginning to take ownership of what's going on inside of us, to take mm-hmm. ownership of it, ownership of our mind, ownership of our emotions, ownership of our behaviors, all right? Not to be so reflexive and reactive. And inner peace, I define it, if you will, is this state of inner stillness or calmness that enables you to go out into the world and embrace the world with your most nonjudgmental, fearless, open mind with a lack of self-absorption. Well, that sounds great. I'd love some more of that. How do I do it? Well, Inner Peace has four blocks, quiet ego, quiet mind, quiet body, and positive emotional state. And it all starts out with the quiet ego and the quiet mind. And how do we do that? And the science is pretty compelling that the best way to start on this journey is mindfulness meditation, all right? And then as you advance to add, if you will, loving-kindness meditation or gratitude meditation it also quiets your mind it allows us to to basically learn we are not our thoughts we are not our emotions and that there's not an automatic link between our emotions and our behaviors I can remember early on and understand I wasn't born with inner peace and it took me a long time to get to inner peace okay so I've been a work in progress for decades But I could remember in a younger age, my wife and I were having a, just say a a heated discussion Mm -hmm. and she interrupted me and she says, excuse me, do you understand that because you feel emotional, you don't have to behave in that way? Do you you understand that your emotions are not hardwired into behaviors? And I looked at her and I said, no, I didn't know that. And she Mm. says, well, I think you need to work on it because you have a choice. And she was so right. And so inner peace is taking ownership and managing what's going on. We have a choice. We are not our thoughts. We are not our emotions. So how do you do it? As I said, you start with meditation. That's the best way to get there. And you've got to engage in daily practices. Gratitude, visualization of how you want to behave, being very granular on coming up with how do I want to go into the world? How do I want to behave today? How do I want to think? How do I want to listen? And the, the model is inner peace is the foundation. Then you need a hyper-learning mindset, the way to go and approach the world. Then you've got to look at how you behave. And the, the book is really an, is a book plus a workbook. Uh, it's an embedded workbook with lots of reflection times, with questions and lots of workshops with deliverables. In fact, if people buy the book and they come to my website, the publisher will give everybody a free 140 page by hyperlearning journal where you can take all of the the stuff. So it's very action oriented. And so there's a whole chapter on hyperlearning behaviors and there's a diagnostic and you would take the, uh, Pete, you take the diagnostic, the hyperlearning behaviors diagnostic and grade yourself. And you would see where am I the weakest? And that will, and then you see how the behaviors fit into a format into a pyramid. And you'd say, What's the building block I need to work on? And the two building blocks that most people have, most males have to work on is quiet ego. And the second building block that everybody sort of has to work on is uh, listening. Okay, well, how do I listen? If I may, just before we get in there, when we talk about mindfulness
0: practice, here are, are you just talking about, you know, you're sitting quietly at a relaxed and alert posture and Focusing on your breath and returning your thoughts to your breath as they go elsewhere? Or or, or what specifically are you thinking when you say mindfulness practice?
1: Mindfulness meditation, yes. I mean, mindfulness meditation, basically focusing on your breathing. And as you're saying, when a thought comes into your mind, just let it go. All right. Don't engage with it. And then take yourself back to focusing on your meeting. You can focus on your breath. You can focus on a body part. Okay something that you're basically, you bring yourself back to. And so it's mindfulness meditation. You can focus, if you wanted, on uh, uh, doing a meditation, a gratitude meditation, visualizing people that have helped you, et cetera, and in, in expressing gratitude to them or gratitude for people that are, are in your life that you're thankful for. And then when your mind sort of wanders, you come back to that. But the key one is mindfulness meditation. Yes. Okay. Well, so, all right, so let's say we're doing that that's great we're on our way and i would mm-hmm. recommend highly when you do your mindfulness meditation to also at the same time do deep breathing practices all right and you can either do the coherent breathing practice which comes out of columbia university or you can use if you will the the na- some people may not want to but the, the navy has got some good deep breathing practices that basically you calm yourself you come and then you basically do your breathing, but you basically try to get to your breathing where you can breathe in very deeply and breathe out very slowly and the number of breaths you take per minute. And the goal is to get to where you can basically breathe comfortably and get down to two breaths per minute. So so two full inhales and outhales. That's right. In a minute. Mm-hmm. Okay. And five is good. Okay. Five is very good. But if you work on it, it takes a year, basically.
0: Well, I was going to ask about sort of like the dosage or time. So that's, uh, <laughs> I'm sure it varies quite a lot. But uh, hey, yeah, inner peace, uh, mindfulness meditation, uh, yeah. kind of how much do we got to do and for how long to get there?
1: <laughs> well, it's sort of like this. Becoming a hyper learner is like becoming a world-class athlete, all right, or a world-class painter or a world-class dancer. All right, you got to work at it every day. There is no easy pathway to transforming us once we get to the age we're at. And so you start out with meditation, two minutes. You try and do it two minutes a day and it's hard, and, but you keep working at it. The book is based on daily practices, which you do rigorously every day. And then there are some practices that you sort of alternate. But no, if, if, you're gonna, if you want to succeed on this journey, and many people have, all right? And it is it is hard to express the power of what we're talking about. All right. It's just it's life changing. It's life changing because you have this peace and you're just not reactive. You're just you're able to sense things. You're thinking your thinking improves so much. All right. You're not so emotionally reactive. You can become a better collaborator. All of these things But it's going to be an everyday practice. In companies that I work with, I work with some public companies, I can't say their names, where every day, every day before every meeting, they do a two, three-minute, up to a five-minute meditation, Mm -hmm. okay? In one company, worldwide, it's a company that has uh, blue-collar, white-collar, et cetera, workers, the first thing every day, worldwide, there's a 15-minute silence, and you can meditate, or you can think about the people in your life that you love, or you can give thanks to whoever you want to give thanks to. But it's embedded. It has to be embedded in your life and embedded in the workplace to work. And yes, it takes time. But I, I do it with, you know, some of my MBA students get into this and they reach out years later. I just had one reach out. He's, he's four years ago. reached out and was just saying, I just want you to know, I'm still meditating like you said, every morning. And he said, it is just unbelievable. He says, I'm so much more effective at work, family life. I mean, I'm just, just, he says, this stuff's magic. So Mm -hmm. now we're talking about, we're fixing to go into an era that is going to be as disruptive for us or even greater than the industrial revolution was for our ancestors. In fact, I believe the era we're going into with with where technology is going to take us, this is going to be very analogous to our Ancestors long time ago who had to leave the, if you will, the the jungles of Africa because of basically mother nature, earthquakes, etc., and actually go out into the fields, okay, the savannas, okay. Our primate ancestors had to leave the jungles and go into the fields. The good news is the fields had big animals, so there was lots you could eat. The bad news is the big animals were fast and strong and could eat our ancestors. They had to learn an entire new way of living in order to, if you will, not become extinct. To some extent, all right, that's where we are in order to basically have meaningful work and meaningful relationships and a meaningful life going forward because automation, Automation is is going to invade all the professions, all right? Degrees are not going to protect people anymore. Nobody knows, but very smart people say that people coming out of college today probably have six different careers, five or six different careers. We're going to have to continually be an adaptive human being. You don't get that way being raised the way we were in our culture, survival of the fittest, and you don't get that way by basically being wired the way we are. Mm-hmm. So the answer is, no, this is not easy. It takes self-discipline and practice, but it's not magical. It's not, it's not hard. All you need to do, I mean, really and truly, if you spent in the beginning, you'll spend two or three minutes. I believe it's very important to work up my daily intentions. My daily intentions is my list of how I want to be today, how I want to behave today. Okay. And do you want to be kind Do you want to be caring? Okay. do you want to be open minded? All right. Do I want to slow down once I feel my body going faster and faster? Do I want to, before I go into a meeting, take four or five deep breaths? Whatever it is, you read those every morning. You visualize yourself doing it and you go out and then at night you come back and you grade yourself. How did I do? Oh, wait a minute. I forgot to do this in this meeting. Okay. write this down. Same thing with your meditation. You start out at two minutes, then you go to three minutes, then you go to five minutes. It varies so much per person, but you can get to 20 minutes within, say, two months. And if you did 20 to 30 minutes a day, the rest of your life, you'd be in good shape. You don't have to do four hours a day like the Dalai Lama. 20 to 30 minutes a day, you'd be in good shape. If you really want to take it to a higher level, you do it in the morning and you also do it in the evening and you do a different type. Of meditation, either the gratitude meditation or the med- heart meditation. And the other aspects of it is, are, are basically you get to be very behavioral. All right. You know, what behaviors in order to be a hyper learner do you need to excel at? Well, you need to have a quiet ego because you need not to be defensive. All right. We're working on that with meditation. But what does that mean? Well, I got to be a good listener. Well, what, how does a good listener do that? A good listener is totally quiet when you're speaking. He or she is not making up their answer. They are not thinking about the next meeting. They're not thinking about the last meeting. All right. They are totally silent, listening to what you're saying, fully, fully present. All right. Well, that takes a while to get there. So how do you do that? Okay. Well, the first thing is, is keep your devices away from you. You have a way. I'm going to sit at the meeting and both my hands are going to be on the table or I'm going to be sitting in this way. And you start figuring out, how am I going to concentrate on what that person is saying? And your mind's going to wonder, bring it back. That's the meditation training. Okay, so I'm fully, fully present. I call it the 3R, the goal is 3RP, really, really, Mm. really be present. Okay, and so (laughs) really, really, really be present. Are you having fun? Hey, you having fun, man? Huh? Are you having fun with this? I'm serious. How's it sound? Very much, I am. I don't <laughs> know if you were
0: demonstrating listening, <laughs> or if you're act- asking me, Pete Mekitis, uh real time. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I'm quite fascinated. And uh, so I want to hear. So being really, really, really present. You said that that uh, listening conversation checklist was was game changing uh, for yes. that gentleman in the yeah. in the session. Yeah. What are the things on
1: this uh, list that we should be doing? Well, um, this is from memory. All right. One. Don't multitask. Two, make eye contact. Okay. Three, calm what's going on. Calm yourself. If you're thinking about something else, take deep breaths, calm yourself. All right. Smile at the person talking and they'll smile back at you. That basically generates positive emotions. When there's positive emotions between people, you're more likely to learn. When things come into your mind, if you start making up your answer, Immediately try to turn back to listening. Okay. When your mind starts to wander, recognize it. Go back. Listen. Okay. Very important. When the person stops talking, do not advocate or state what you believe. All right. Ask a question. If you hold yourself to asking questions, all right, that's going to help you listen because you want to ask questions for two reasons, to make sure you understand what the person was saying so that when you respond, your response has a higher probability of being effective. But the other thing is, is the most important thing as we go into this digital age is, is understanding the concept of otherness. No one can excel at thinking in ways the technology can't think. No one can excel in basically higher order emotional engagement by themselves. We need others and we need others, a special kind of others, others that trust us and that we trust. And trust comes from people feeling cared about. And the number one way that a person feels cared about is when you show that you have listened by asking good questions. When you say that, I want to make sure I understand you, it says, I care about you, I respect you. I respect you as a human, a distinct human being. And then you can have a conversation, if you will, if you disagree or you don't disagree, why? But that conversation should be data based and respectful. The workplace is going to change in this era either. If you work in a workplace that is a survival of the fittest, highly competitive workplace, well, that organization is going to become extinct because. You can't optimize collective intelligence and people learning together at their optimal level in teams, all right, in a very competitive workplace, all right? I tell people, listen to learn, not to confirm, mm-hmm. all right? And so it's a, you go through this process. It's a whole approach that, okay, wait a minute, I've got to learn how to think differently. i got to, instead of seeking confirmation, i got to seek novelty and exploration and discovery. All right. I got to actively go look for disconfirming information to test what I think. Okay, how many people, when they believe something, go out and look for disconfirming information? All right. Not a lot. All right. I got to basically defer judgment instead of yes, but yes, and all right. I got to embrace differences and try to make meaning of those differences, because, again, we process a very small amount of the stimuli that can come through our body from the world and no one can process I mean, it's, it's like less than 0.1%. And so in the digital age, we've got to be able to excel at not knowing and knowing how to learn, all mm-hmm. right? We got to excel at going into the unknown and figuring things out. And that happens best with other people because they will see things that we don't see. And so a whole new way of working and a new way of being is what this book is about. How do you go out there with that new way of being? How do you bring your better self, work on your best self. How do I come to the table, to the meeting, to the office, to the Zoom, to whatever? How do I bring that best self here and be the most open I can be in order to learn, but also to be a good teammate, all right? A good teammate showing respect and respecting the human dignity of the people that I'm working with and understanding I'm not competing with them. Ed Hess's biggest competition in the digital age is Ed Hess, mm-hmm. not Pete, not you, Pete. I got to compete. If if I do my work on myself, I'll be fine. And, and I know that I need you also. And I'll help you work on yourself just like you help me work on it. No more is it Ed versus Pete. No more is it zero-sum game. It all comes down to collective intelligence. Well, so I love a
0: lot of what you're saying here in terms of, okay, so we start with... You know the inner peace and the mindfulness, and we're uh, doing great listening and asking questions and seeking disconfirmatory evidence and being curious and, and exploratory and and focusing on on other people and having sort of the, the multi people intelligence enable the, the hyper learning as opposed to digging deep on speed reading or memory tricks. The focus is on the the human dimensions, and so uh, I'm curious. So we got chapter eight having high-quality, making-meaning conversations. So we've already gotten a couple pro tips for, for the listening. Are there any sort of key questions or, or things that we should do in order to engage in these conversations that facilitate hyper-learning?
1: Yes. So let's go back to the basis. First, we have to come to the meeting with the right intentions about the meeting. We have to come into the meeting as best we can with a quiet ego, a quiet mind, calm body, not be stressful, All right. In a positive emotional state, the highest levels of learning are enabled by a positive emotional environment. The workplace people are going to need is my good friend, Amy Edmondson. Psychological safety is a requirement. So you got to ask yourself, okay, and if these are not people that I work with all the time, how do I behave in such a way that Pete trusts me? Because psychological safety is built upon trust. I trust you'll do me no harm. I trust that I can speak up, so it comes down. And in the book, there's workshops. Okay, is to if I want to basically engage in a caring manner with someone else, how do I behave that way? The book is very practical. How do I have to behave so you care about me? How do I have to behave so you trust me? What would I do? And what I do with when I do my work in this, I have I have teams of people that work together, and they do exercises such as what does a person have to do to for you to trust them and then you do the opposite if a person does x how does that basically hurt trust and people will have a conversation and then people have a conversation is so they're having a conversation what caring means to them how how would they feel cared about okay when would they trust somebody and they're learning from each other all right and then they're asking each other okay now how can i improve my behaviors all right and the how can jane improve her behaviors And a making meaning conversation is when people come together to learn from each other to basically make meaning of words which in the workplace we all take for granted okay Mm -hmm. we all take for granted and so for any conversation to make meaning together you have to do what you have to truly try to understand the other person's point of view in a non-judgmental manner okay you have to put your actually put yourselves in their shoes okay then you have to evaluate their data and they'll evaluate your data but the goal is to come to the best answer and it sounds i know a little i don't know soft but you know what i think it's dead on
0: I mean, Annie Duke, professional poker player, talked about this. It is soft.
1: And basically, if you want to go out 10 years from now and say, what's going to be the most important human skill, all right, or what's going to be the thing that we add to the world that technology doesn't add, it's going to be emotions, positive emotions. It's going to be emotional engagement. Emotions are going to have to come into the workplace big time. And that's going to challenge a lot of organizations, a lot of people, because people are going to have to be very cognizant of setting the right emotional environment, but also very important cognitive or, or working on being emotionally the type of person that people want to help and want to collaborate. Because I keep coming back to the words collective intelligence. Collective intelligence is going to be the difference between winning and losing in the business world going forward for organizations. And that means it's not any one person. It's a group. So am I the type of person that people are going to want to help? Do Mm -hmm. I want to be the type of person that people are going to help? Then I got to get down and I got to think about, okay, how do I come across? I mean, am I consumed with myself? And you learn real fast that in order to be your best self, you have to become selfless, mm-hmm. and you have to define your ego in a different way. Most of us, and that's the concept of new smart in the book, most of us raised an education system, and basically up till about age eight or 10, young kids are hyper-learners, okay? They have no fears. If you remember how you wrote, learned how to ride a bicycle, you know? Somebody may be holding it, it may have wheels, but someone says, okay, helps you on, or you get on, you get on, they say, move your feet, and you fall off. And what'd you do as a kid? Most kids, somebody may cry, somebody may not, but it doesn't matter. They get up, they dust themselves off, and they get on it again. And they keep getting on it till they move that bicycle a little bit, all right? They basically have the courage to go into the unknown, they have the resilience to bounce back, all right? And that courage is to figure out how to make this work. Well, that's, what's, that's what we're going to have to excel doing, okay? Just about age 8 to 10, it starts getting schooled out of us. And we all get focused on grades, all on grades. And I'm sure you made the highest grades in your class, all right? But in order to make the highest grades in your class, what did you have to do? You had to make the fewest mistakes. So we were raised to avoid mistakes. We were raised at being smart. And our egos started being identified with smart. And once we identify and the older we get with being smart and we go up in the hierarchy in companies, we think we know things. Mm -hmm. We're smart. (laughs) We got the big office. Okay. And we're very protective of what we, our ego and the fact that we don't want to be wrong and we'll argue to Timbuktu on anything. All right. Well, that's a pathway basically failure. Because in the world we're going into, the change in the philosophy, see, we need to redefine our ego from that definition of smart to new smart. And new smart has five, five principles, but I'll just share one. Defined, the number one principle, I'm defined not by what I know or how much I know, but by the quality of my thinking, listening, relating, and collaborating. I just changed the definition from a how much, all right, and a what to the quality of my thinking, listening, relating, and collaborating, okay? And if people take that approach, it makes it far easier to be an effective collaborator. It makes it far easier to build caring, trusting relationships, which are Caring, trusting relationships are the condition precedent to the highest levels of making meaning together. You can't make meaning together unless you trust each other and you believe that the other person is not going to harm you or use your mistakes against you or ridicule you to the boss or whatever. And so what this really means is is all the political games in business is going to basically go out the door. Yeah, it's got to be basically you got to you got to take all that stuff and get a giant trash bag (laughs) and dump it all in. Tie it up very, very tight. Okay, Don't put it in the dumpster. All right. Actually take it to the trash place and watch it shredded. Okay, well, that's a powerful
0: note there. And yeah, I'd love to hear now if you could share a, a favorite quote, something you find inspiring.
1: I think so much of it goes back to the golden rule. I think the other thing, I think what's so important, and I'm paraphrasing here, we have to accept the fact that no one, and this is from Barbara Fredrickson, no one achieves excellence by themselves. That, to me, is very powerful. I think the other powerful quote that I keep in mind now is from Daniel Kahneman, who predicted, I think it was in the summer of July 2019, that by the 2030, there will be no cognitive function that a computer will not be able to do better than a human being. And the reason that's such a powerful quote, it basically alerts all of us that we're going to have to develop skills that are different than most of the skills that we've been developing in the past. And all of those skills are going to be the soft skills because the human part is going to be the part that becomes so very important in society. And so I think that I'm old enough that I, back when you know everybody served in the military, to quote, leaders eat last, always take care of your team before you take care of yourself. I think all of those are still valid. Leaders eat last. You don't go to the head of the line. And some of the best leaders that I've ever had the privilege of working with were the most humble people, okay, who basically were other-centric, okay, Herb Kelleher, at Southwest Air, or Schulte at Ritz-Carlton, the senior leadership team And back when I was working with them at, at UPS and Mr. Casey at UPS. It's recognizing the human dignity of the people you work with and that people are not just a cog in a machine. I think the other thing is, is that the Industrial Revolution model of humans being machines doing the same thing over and over again, technology is going to do all that type of work. And we basically have to get out of this machine mindset. And we need to basically figure out how we're gonna create the environment where people can flourish and have meaningful work and meaningful relationships. And that raises big challenges for big companies that are basically focused on a model that's command and control. You cannot command and control somebody to think at their highest levels. I cannot mm-hmm. say, it, Pete, I command and control and direct you to be innovative. Right. I command and control and direct you, okay, to be creative. I command and control you to command you to think critically. That just stuff doesn't work. Right. That doesn't work. And so for your viewers, and you've got a wonderful viewing group, the thing that I leave with them is I invite them to basically consider to become not just a hyper-learner, but to become an awesome hyper-learner. And because I think based on the what I know from reading about your listenership. I think many of your people will embrace, if you will, the challenge that's that's here, but also they'll have the right mindset, the right growth mindset to go out there and say, let me try some of these things. Let's try and see if it works. All right. Well, Ed, thank you. This has been a treat. I wish you all the best in your hyper-learning adventures. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me and I, I wish you all the best and keep doing the good work you're doing, man.
0: I loved a lot of what Ed had to say but what really stuck with me and maybe it's just cuz it rhymes is listen to learn not confirm. Yeah. That's short, it's succinct, it rhymes and it really does capture the core distinction associated with what's great listening. Am I just sort of kind of waiting to hear the stuff I agree with and say yes, that's good? Or am I going in there with a the curiosity like, "Hmm, what might just blow me away and, and take me in new directions I didn't even know? I didn't even know." So great stuff from Ed. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced, you can find over at com slash EP606. If you haven't already, I recommend you push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest, Todd Henry, the accidental creative himself. He's back. It's been a while, uh, but he's back. And this time, he has got some really rich insights into motivation. His book, The Motivation Code, and some associated assessments. Colored me impressed. I was impressed. I shared that assessment with some of my teammates and I thought it was it was great stuff in terms of really breaking down the universe of of forces that motivate us and why you find some tasks and things enjoyable and others not so much. He demystifies it in a pretty robust way. So I hope you check that one out. Hope to catch you there. And peace.